It's Friday, August 10th, and from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. Pennsylvania enacted the Municipal Waste Planning, Recycling, and Waste Reduction Act, perhaps better known as Act 101, in 1988. It was among the nation's first and, at the time, most progressive state-level recycling mandates. Still, the legislation underestimated how much plastic packaging would be entering the supply chain in the coming years. And, crucially, it failed to anticipate changes in the market for recycled materials. As the global economy shifts and as things change, those markets start to decline over time. And so where we are today in 2018 is those markets have effectively shut down. Meanwhile, the Act 101 recycling program largely succeeded in its goal of acclimating Pennsylvanians to the habit of recycling. But at the same time, that success belied a general lack of understanding on the part of consumers and their elected officials about how the industry actually works, and particularly about their role within it. And as a result, over the years, we've picked up some bad habits. Now we live in a world where anything you can imagine that you want to be recycled, go put it out in the bin at the curbside and some magic truck makes it go away and you never think about it again, you never see it again. All of these factors and others add up to a less than ideal outlook for the future of recycling in Pennsylvania. That's why many advocates say the Act 101 legislation is long overdue for an update. We're talking trash on this episode. That's coming up. But first, a peek at the PEC events calendar for this month. Not to alarm you, but the clock's ticking and summer will soon be over. Now is the time to make plans for those last few warm weather weekend outings that you've been meaning to get in. We've got a few ideas to help you out with that. This weekend in the Philadelphia area, you can join Tokony Tacony Frankfurt Watershed Partnership and the Tacony Creek Park Trail Ambassadors for a guided nature hike in Tacony Creek Park. They're happening every Saturday through the end of August. Meet up at Tabor Road Gateway at 9 a.m. Should be done around 11. In the Laurel Highlands, there's an epic picnic and live music planned for this weekend at the annual Headwaters Party hosted by the Jacobs Creek Watershed Association. They'll be pouring local craft brews as well starting at 4 p.m. Saturday the 11th. Looking ahead to next weekend, northwestern Pennsylvania is the place to be. August 18th and 19th, you can hop on a two-day paddle along the Clarion River with DCNR and the Western Pennsylvania Conservancy. It's about 24 miles from Halton to Cooksburg. You can find details and sign up on the website. You will need to do that soon, though, because the deadline is, as I record this, today, August 10th. Meanwhile, we at PEC are expecting a big turnout for the Climax Tunnel opening ceremony that we're co-hosting along with the Red Bank Valley Trail Association and the Allegheny Valley Land Trust. You're invited to join the party in New Bethlehem on Saturday the 18th and ride the Red Bank Trail out to the newly refurbished Climax Tunnel. And we talked about it in episode 76, which you may recall from back in June. Check out the PEC website for a video preview of what that tunnel will look like when it opens on Saturday the 18th. Details on that event, all of these events, and much more on our website at PECPA.org. This summer marks the 30th anniversary of Pennsylvania's Municipal Waste Planning, Recycling, and Waste Reduction Act. Act 101 has been a huge success in many respects. Among them, the fact that recycling our glass, metal, plastic, and paper waste is now pretty much second nature for many, if not most, Pennsylvanians. Trouble is, despite our best intentions, a lot of us are doing it wrong, putting things in the blue bin that just don't belong there. And that has consequences. 
Act 101 helped launch a massive global industry that employs thousands in our state and creates lots of economic activity. But the 1988 law still at best an awkward fit with 2018 market conditions as they continue to evolve. Here to shed some light on Act 101's past successes, as well as challenges going forward, is Justin Stockdale. He's Western Regional Director for the Pennsylvania Resources Council. Justin, welcome to Pennsylvania Legacies. Josh, thanks for having me. Pennsylvania Resources Council, pretty well-known organization, one of the ones that probably doesn't really need much of an introduction, but just to set the stage quickly, tell me about the group, some of the things you're currently working on, and then we can circle back to some of those later. Yeah, Josh, so PA Resources Council was founded in 1939. Um, Oddly enough, our true heritage is we were an anti-billboard organization. So we got our start combating billboards along what was then the soon-to-be-constructed Pennsylvania Turnpike. And so we were really focused on scenic aesthetic beauty in Pennsylvania was the primary goal of the organization. Uh, That quickly evolved to roadside litter. So you can't be worried about, you know, beautiful highways without really confronting litter pretty quickly. So through the 50s, we became an anti-litter organization. Um, The litter bug icon, don't be a litter bug, PRC coined that phrase and introduced that character into the world in 1952. And so spent the next 20 years or so really hyper-focused on litter. You can't talk about litter without recognizing what is litter. It's bottles and cans. It's things that are commonly recyclable. And so we made that transition uh, really right around the first Earth Day in, in 1970 of becoming a recycling resource-focused organization. Um, and so from there till today, we are hyper-focused um, on issues related to waste, whether it's uh, recycling bottles and cans or composting, or frankly, more importantly, source reduction. So thinking about what we're using in the first place, um, reuse is a big part of what we do in trying to find homes for things that still have value. Um, but Pretty well, PRC in 2018 is a, is a waste-oriented organization trying to find ways to responsibly use the stuff we don't want anymore. What was PRC's role in getting the original legislation passed? Were you part of that dialogue? So Act 101 in 1988. So at the time, PRC was led by uh, what's been described to me as a, a true firebrand of a woman, Ruth Becker. Um, Ruth Becker was our executive director in the 80s. Um, Again, I was not here during the 80s to to watch this happen, but I've been told that Ruth was really a a central figure in the passage of Act 101, Um, mostly as an advocate, mostly as pressing around through the halls of the legislature, um, building support and documenting the public support for a bill like this. So uh, PRC at the time had a, we still have in our archives, a scroll of signatures as a petition for um, folks wanting to see Act 101 passed. And that's really the role we played was as an advocate, as a as a demonstrator of public support for policy like this. So PRC has been a leader nationally for quite some time on this issue. What about Pennsylvania itself? Were we were significantly far ahead of other states in passing recycling legislation? Uh, in 1988, we were at the absolute vanguard. Um, Act 101 is truly a, a seminal piece of public policy. It was the first in the nation to mandate curb or mandate access to recycling to consumers and to residents. Um, it had some really uh, forward-thinking policies uh, that were untested anywhere else in the country, one of those being uh, a disposal fee assessed on every ton of d- material thrown in a landfill. Uh, other states pursued bottle bills or uh, commodity-specific legislation, and so we said we'll take this one item, we'll put a fee on it, we'll use that fee to generate revenues to support recycling. Uh, Pennsylvania took a much more holistic approach, Act 101 did, and said, Let's not talk about individual commodities. Let's talk about the whole suite of materials we throw away. And let's effectively, you know, put a fee on those materials to generate some support to develop alternatives to traditional landfill disposal. So that's kind of how the legislation was initially conceived and put together. Has it changed much over the years? 
recycling in 1988 was a very different business than it is today. Um, the short story that I tell around this is that, you know, in 1988, recycling in Pittsburgh, really across Pennsylvania, it wasn't at your curbside. Uh, recycling was predominantly a drop-off enterprise where you would bring your materials to a location. Uh, and almost universally, you as the consumer were responsible to sort your materials into different commodity grades, right? So you put your aluminum cans in one bin, your steel cans in another, uh, your newspapers in a bin, your office paper in a different bin. And it was really a consumer-driven business or a consumer-driven enterprise um, that we as the users and the generators of this waste took responsibility for that waste. In the intervening 30 years, uh, it's shifted almost beyond 180 degrees if there is a place beyond 180 degrees because now we live in a world where recycling is take anything you can imagine that you want to be recycled go put it out in the bin at the curbside and some magic truck makes it go away and you never think about it again you never see it again you really have no relationship to recycling in the modern world and so yeah a lot has changed since 1988. Is it a kind of a trade-off in that Getting people's heads around the idea of recycling their waste in the first place was was a big enough leap that you had to sort of make it as easy as possible and put the whole thing on rails. That's a really great observation because it, it was, you know, the, the this shift, it's had these, and we'll talk about these really sort of dire consequences for recycling as an industry. Um, and were those intentional? How did we get there? I mean, those are the kind of questions we need to ask. And really, the, the truth of the matter is um, we sort of lost sight of what recycling is all about. We, we started to think instead of it's a commodity business, right, where we're taking valuable commodities and we're collecting them to then be feedstocks into industrial processes, we lost track of that. And recycling became uh, our goals were convenience. Our goals were, you know, simple efficiencies across the system. And we started to lose track of this commodity, you know, responsibility. Again, was it intentional? To, did anybody say that, well, single stream, it's more convenient and it's going to wreck recycling? That was never envisioned. Um, but that is one of the outcomes, right? That, that the more convenient it became for the consumer, again, in my perspective, that that removal of, of our own consumer responsibility, that's really the root of the problem. And I guess we were fortunate in that you could kind of go along for a while in that way and it, it kind of works, but market forces are volatile and, and right. economic circumstances have changed. Yeah. And so, again, we were sort of lulled into this shift to single stream, into the shift to consumer convenience being paramount because we had markets that were willing to absorb some of the consequences, right? And so when you go to a, you know, one of the analogies used in the industry is, you know, if if source separated materials or, you know, where we started, when you go to single stream, you're basically taking, you know, a dozen eggs and you're scrambling them. And source separated, you keep all your eggs separate and everything gets sorted out nice and, and, and directly. Single stream, you scramble all those eggs and then you ask somebody to unscramble it at the recycling facility. And what's proven to be the case is you can't ever unscramble that egg effectively. And so, like you point out, there was a stretch through the 90s and 2000s where we were sort of lulled into believing that there were viable markets for these lower quality materials, for these uh, bales of paper that had plastic bags in them and milk cartons in them and all this other non-paper materials. There were buyers for, for those lower grade commodities. But again, as, as you point out, as the global economy shifts and as things change, those markets start to decline over time. And so where we are today in 2018 is those markets have effectively shut down and said, we will no longer buy these lower quality materials that are contaminated with all this other stuff. And so you have a just a sudden, literally in the last week, 
you know, change in what is recyclable, trying to adapt to this sudden alteration in the markets. And municipalities are now making really hard decisions about how and what they can recycle. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's, it, well, fortunately, unfortunately, it's not even the municipalities that are making these decisions. The municipalities are being told what is allowed in, in their residential bins now. And uh, the municipalities are really, I think, in a struggle the most here because they have the least control over the system. They provide these services to their residents. They contract for a waste hauler that provides recycling collection. Um, and that's sort of their role in this in, in Pennsylvania within the solid waste system. So when the waste hauler says, well, we don't take glass anymore, the municipality doesn't have a choice. Um, and where the, the real one of the questions that's outlying at the moment is, as we see these changes, we have haulers across the state making decisions in the past week, literally, of glass is no longer accepted, um, that there is consequence to that. The hauler will likely say, well, if glass appears in your recycling, we're going to penalize you for it. Well, who are they going to penalize? Not likely the consumer. They'll penalize the municipality. And so it's going to quickly, there's a risk here where we sort of, not only have we lost track of quality in recycling, but we could stand to lose track of recycling entirely. What needs to happen then with the laws that currently exist? What did it get wrong in 1988 or fail to anticipate maybe is a better way of putting it? What changes are needed? So again, if you, if you look at the history of Act 101, um, it's written in a time where uh, a recycling system, it depends on consumer and you know, user responsibilities. And um, it's predicated on a lot of conditions in Pennsylvania that are just frankly don't exist anymore. And so Act 101, it's not that it's a, you know, it's, it's a, it's no longer a viable law for Pennsylvania. The root of Act 101, those premise or those foundational principles remain important and remain um, intact. The challenge, we have to adapt Act 101 to the modern circumstance of single stream, of automated collection systems, of, you know, the consumer is not the, the first line of defense and quality control. The, the consumer is a secondary or a, a non-player in quality concerns at this point. And we need to use Act 101 to start to steer us back that direction. Um, so PRC believes that, you know, we generate this waste as individuals. We have some responsibility to manage that waste. It's not, you know, recycling is not some holy grail where just because you put it out on the curb, magically you save the environment. Um, that's the wrong, you know, expectation for what recycling is. Um, recycling is an opportunity for us as consumers to have a great and deep lasting impact on our environment. Uh, but we have to participate in that impact. It's not a we don't, it's not a gimme. It's not a free pass. And so using public policy as it did, again, at, at its outset in 1988, that's really what Act 101 was doing. We need to shift it back that direction and, and get back into a world where uh, the public policy supports responsible commodity management, not just a free-for-all. It supports this, you know, greenwash of right. the environment. Well, yeah, about that, there's maybe another sort of unintended consequence of the mainstreaming of, of the idea of recycling is that now it's an opportunity for businesses and brands to sort of jump on that and maybe disingenuously, maybe even pursuing policies that are counterproductive. Uh, sure. You, you can't help yourself. I mean, I've seen them all over America, all over the, you know, frankly, the globe for that matter. There's nothing that I, I love more than walking up to a, a recycling bin that's got a lid on it that says, you know, recycling on the left and trash on the right. And you pull the lid off and it's one container underneath, right? And they're all over Pittsburgh today. Um, so you, we are, we're starting, there is this risk of uh, losing even further ground here. So again, PRC is hopeful that these shifts in global markets, um, they are so consequential that hopefully it will nip that reality in the bud and we'll move right past it. Um, 
And we won't deal with issues like, you know, just because a brand owner decides their stuff is recyclable, that doesn't make it recyclable. Um, you point out at the, in the intro here about the, the economics behind recycling, the jobs created, uh, the dollars generated out of this industry. That's real. That's, that's not a, you know, a farcical thing. The recycling industry in America is larger than the auto industry in America from a, a, you know, an economic input perspective. Um, and that's based on these are commodities, right? It's like, you know, digging up iron ore out of, you know, southern Ontario to make steel. It's, these are commodities just like that. And so if, if we can focus on that, I think we can have uh, a much longer impact that recycling will be reinvigorated rather than be sort of this failed enterprise that consumers get frustrated with. But that is one of the risks. I wonder how do you navigate these political waters? You know, given all the things we were talking about, the fact that the plastic straw thing right now is such a flashpoint and everybody, depending on your tribal orientation, you know, has a very strong feeling one way or the other. Is that helpful in any way or is that uh, creating more problems? Um, it's, I guess it's a little of both, right, Josh, that it's an opportunity in that it's raising a significant awareness. Uh, you know, you come to my house and, you know, I've been after my kids for as long as they've been alive, 15 years now, no straws allowed at the, at the table, right? And we just don't use straws. Um, to see that become this mainstream thing where my sisters are now, you know, proud and showing me their stainless steel straws they go to restaurants with. You know, it's a really positive thing because these are folks that never cared before and all of a sudden they care. Uh, the risk is, is that people take that action of, well, I stopped using straws, therefore I've saved the environment and we're done. That's the risk, right? Because the straw is emblematic of the broader challenge we have, not just in America, but globally of this dependence on single use, throwaway stuff. And not just plastics either, right? So don't, you know, people shouldn't confine themselves to, oh, well, there's plastic floating in the ocean, therefore we have to combat plastic. That's not it, right? Our, our general sort of culture around consumption is based on this notion of we can consume uh, with no limits and with no consequence. Um, the Amazon cardboard box, uh, to go to a recycling facility last winter and to watch the shift in recycling just caused by our move to online shopping, is tremendous, the impacts, right? It's, it's, we have to adapt to that. And so the straw, if we can use it as a, as a gateway drug into a bigger conversation, then that's a really good thing. If we get stuck on the straw is the enemy and we solve it and we're done, then we got a real problem. Well, I think it's, it's worth recalling too that, you know, when Act 101 originated, I mean, this is probably largely true of environmental and conservation issues generally, that it was, there was a much more of a bipartisan consensus than maybe we see now. Where does recycling fit into the kind of ideological matrix right now? Well, so from personal experience, um, Josh, I, I would say that today we are more um, politically agnostic than we've ever been as an industry recycling. That um, This is not a partisan issue, right? There was a time when I started in this business 25, 30 years ago. I was wearing a tie-dye and I was, you know, the hippie recycler, the, you know, exactly what you would expect at the little drop-off center. Um, you know, I learned pretty early on in my career that if, if I'm going to play saving spotted owls as my justification for recycling, I'm going to lose, right. right? That this is not a path that is uh, rational or, you know, is, is playable. Recycling is this politically agnostic thing that it's not about left, right. It's not about conservative, liberal. It's about responsible, you know, resource management, right? If you have an aluminum can and you have a choice, you can put it in a landfill and say goodbye to it forever. And it's now going to sit in the bottom of a landfill forever. Um, or you could put it in a recycling bin and create jobs and generate revenues and, and, you know, put dollars on the street. 
That's a simple choice. That's not a political debate. That's a that's a responsible thing to do. Um, and I think today more than ever, that remains the case. I, I think we have to be careful as recyclers to not make this a partisan issue, right? To not try to say that this is, oh, they're against the environment. It's, you know, recycling, yeah, it's an environmental concern, certainly. But it's more importantly, from our perspective, it's an economic concern. And it, it's just responsible human behavior, frankly. Well, let's follow up on the economic piece then. What are, I mean, what kind of impacts are we looking at in terms of jobs and tax base and, and revenues in the economy generally if as a result of the changes we're seeing from these larger economic forces? Uh, well, so it's, I could point to the risks, right? What are the risks of if, if we fail to continue to recycle, if these you know global shifts in marketplaces drive recycling into being uh, a less common behavior? So some of the consequences might be um, statistically, we look at uh, jobs created through recycling and the national stat that's been used for two decades now suggests that there are 10 jobs in recycling to every one job at a landfill. So if you take that aluminum can and put it in the landfill, you're supporting a single job. If you put it in your recycling bin, you're supporting 10 jobs, right? And so that's a that's a massive economic impact. Um, I don't have the stats on the, the state of the industry in Pennsylvania, but it's in the billions of dollars every year that is generated out of recycling. If, if we allow these market forces and say, well, we can't meet these you know, quality standards, so therefore we just quit, we don't recycle, it's going to have this deep lasting ripple effect downstream. And um, again, and it's, it gets beyond just the jobs and the obvious things up front. It starts to then get into, well, where are we going to get all the bauxite from to make beer cans? It's got to come from somewhere. Um, you know, Alcoa here in Pittsburgh is a big player in that global marketplace. Um, there's not an unlimited supply of bauxite out there in the world. We have this free source sitting, you know, in our garbage cans. Why not tap into that? So it starts to have these more global impacts. And if you looked out 20 years of a world that doesn't recycle, there are really even more dire consequences and where it starts to run back into the environmental concerns and issues, right? But, you know, we look at it, use the, the economic advantage of recycling to drive the behavior. If you save a spotted owl along the way, then we... we you know, hit the home run. So I'm trying to understand the market problem a little bit better. We've been feeding kind of low quality materials to these foreign markets, and now they don't want it anymore. Manufacturers and packagers are still using these same products. Consumers are still buying them. But if consumers now have fewer options for what to do with them after they're done using them, what happens to what happens to all this junk that nobody wants? And are we asking too much of consumers to fix this problem? What can we do to to stop it at the source? Uh, that's a bigger question than PRC can answer that I can answer. I mean, I certainly have opinions about that, but I, I won't share them here. So, that, that, but the root of your question is is that um, if you take your average household and look at what they were recycling a year ago versus what is truly being recycled, that hasn't changed. Right. So whether you put it in your recycling bin or not, and it was non-recyclable, it found a landfill somewhere on this planet. Right. Whether it was locally at the sorting facility where the material was sorted, if we got lucky, that's where it went. Um, but if it ended up, if your, you know, salad clamshell full of ranch dressing ended up in the paper bale that got sold to a, a paper mill in China, well, that paper mill in China threw it away. Right. It didn't get recycled either way. So it's really not a change in, in the markets. It's not a change in what is recyclable or what is not recyclable. The rules that applied in you know 1988 really is about the time I got involved in recycling till today, um, the rules are all still the same, right? It's a question of, of what bin does it go in and who has the responsibility to put it in the right bin at the right moment. And I think what the, the market conditions will do, again, in, in my hopeful, optimistic look, 
it will drive more responsible collection systems, right? And so instead of saying, oh, if you don't know if it's recyclable or not, just put it in the bin, we'll figure it out. That was a really, you know, uh, I guess naive approach to the, to the question of what should go in the bin. Um, it's not about somebody else will figure it out. We need to take responsibility for what we put in that bin. So there's also an education problem then, right? Like people need to be, need to relearn this stuff. That's right. We need to go back and, you know, if you look at Act 101 historically, um, as it was rolled out as a law and started to be implemented in 1990, um, there was a large, large portion of the the funds, the, the public dollars generated by Act 101 that were invested in public education. Um, so if you look at PRC in 1990, 90% of our work was focused on public education around recycling, right? If we're going to start up this new recycling industry in Pennsylvania, which is what Act 101 did, it jump-started this industry, um, people need to know how to utilize and access that industry. And so Act 101 invested lots of dollars in public education. Intervening years, again, as we were sort of lulled into this world of, well, everything's running fine, everything's working, the state started to, you know, pull back a little bit on that education piece, and they've invested less and less over time. Um, Just in the last year, they've started to shift backwards again to start pointing back at public education being uh, a primary responsibility of Act 101. And I think you'll see that grow over the next five to 10 years, because you're right. Um, it is a re-education. You know, we've, we've come to a place, uh, depending on where you live, you might have one of those big 96-gallon roll carts, and you're sort of expected to, well, if you don't know, put it in the bin. That's just sort of human nature response to it. Um, and we're, again, we're already seeing, you know, it's not a question of what the numbers are on the bottom of the plastic container. It's what is the shape of the container, because the shape is actually more descript- descriptive of the raw material than the number on the bottom. And so you'll start to see these movements back to being uh, uh, clearer education, more concise education. Uh, it's, and again, it's more specific about the commodity, not about the practice of recycling. It's, it's not about the behavior. It's about the business of recycling. And so, and then the state has a role to play in the educational component. What else can the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania do short of changing the laws or passing new laws, uh, you know, to address this? Well, from a public policy perspective, Josh, again, Act 101, uh, it's not the Constitution, right? It, it was never meant to stand the test of time. It was, uh, it was written to respond to a certain set of circumstances and conditions when it was written. Um, we've acknowledged those circumstances have changed. And so uh, really, in PRC's view, uh, my personal view, uh, Act 101 needs amended, it needs modified, it needs modernized to reflect the current conditions. So some of the incentives, for instance, in Act 101 um, were very, very appropriate in 1988. They are not so appropriate today. And so taking a different look at how we incentivize the practice of recycling uh, is a really important question today. Um, you know, Act 101 gives this uh, you know, mandate via population densities. Is that really the most appropriate approach today? Um, it was certainly a rational, you know, way to roll out recycling across a very diverse state in 1988. But, you know, we're seeing today there's 130 municipalities in Allegheny County. I think of those, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 or mandated communities by Act 101. And the rest, you know, uh, you know that balance of about 50 communities, more than half offer recycling to residents, not because they're mandated to, but because we expect that to happen as consumers. And we demand it of our municipal governments. And so... You know, that's a different world than it was in 88. In 1988, to tell, you know, I live in Bell Acres, to tell Bell Acres, who's non-mandated, that you must recycle, forget it. They're not, I mean, they're going to resist. But today they offer me this, you know, great, robust recycling program because we as consumers and as residents demand it of our, of our municipality. And so, you know, acknowledging that, that's different. 
right? And I think Act 101 um, on many fronts like that could be amended. And our real risk, Josh, is that we see every year, I've been in, back in Pennsylvania now for four and a half, five years, every year we see anywhere from 30 to 50 different amendments to Act 101 come up in the legislature. Um, and they're all fairly issue specific. They're going to take out, you know, we're going to focus, this amendment focuses on glass bottles, or this one focuses on um, styrofoam packaging, or this one focuses on some other, again, very individualized, very specific detail. And, uh, you know, an ad hoc approach to amending Act 101 is probably the worst thing we could do. What we really need to do is take the pause moment um, and really rethink and have a process like like the process that brought us Act 101, right? A very robust stakeholder engagement uh, program where, you know, everybody's interests were evaluated. There were conversations between the municipalities, between the waste industry, between private citizens, between recycling, you know, consuming mills. They all played a role in crafting that language of Act 101. And that's what's desperately needed today is another process where we, you know, address everybody's concerns and we find public policy at the center it's not going to solve everybody's challenges. It's not going to be the, you know, the panacea for every stakeholder, but that we at least acknowledge and address that there are multiple stakeholders and we craft public policy to support all of those stakeholders as best we can. Justin Stockdale, Western Regional Director for the Pennsylvania Resources Council. Thanks so much for your time today. Josh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to talk trash with you. And that's all for this episode. Pennsylvania Legacies is a production of the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. You can find all of our past episodes along with much more on Peck's work in trails and recreation, energy and climate, watersheds, communities and landscapes, and lots more at PECPA.org. And of course, we'd encourage you to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, or whatever platform you use to access podcast content. We'd appreciate not just your subscription, but also your rating and review. If you're so inclined, we'd appreciate it. Send us your feedback by email to legacies, L-E-G-A-C-I-E-S, at peckpa.org. Join us again in two weeks for a new episode. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson. Thanks for listening.